joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And I want to welcome you all to Blissful Living. I want to ask you right now to take a moment and ponder this question. Do you have your future as far as your wealth and your material gains, your assets, things of that nature? Do you have that protected if something happens to you? Do you have a plan that you have set up um, if something happens to you that protects your assets? in the most appropriate way, um, or are you just free-floating and, you know, you figure when you get there, you get there, and if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. Well, you might want to grab a piece of paper and something to write with because this show is going to be about, as you know, part of the pillars of um, Blissful Living is Wellness, Wisdom, and the Well. This show is going to be really about protecting your wealth. Why build things just to have it go by the wayside if something happens to you and um, or your loved one? So stay tuned because the show is going to be just full of information and I can't wait to share our fabulous guest with you. But before we get started, First of all, like I said, grab something to write with, a piece of paper, find a nice, comfortable spot because you're going to want to take a lot of notes because you're going to get a lot of information. But not only that, maybe grab something like you like to drink, your favorite beverage, and really just allow yourself a few minutes to really absorb the information that's going to be coming forth during this show. Now, I want to thank our sponsors. The first one I want to thank is All Day Cable Incorporated. They're a telecommunications installation company located in the Silicon Valley, and they've been around for about 30 years. Their specialty is network distribution, so if you need voice data, fiber optic, or wireless systems installed, that's what they do. They also uh, do audio, video, and speaker systems as well. So they do the backbone of your telecommunications, and their model is they make the connections right the first time because if there's any hiccups in that can cost millions and millions of dollars in transactions. So if you're in need or you know someone in need of a good telecommunications installation company, you want to check out alldaycableinc.com. The next sponsor that I would like to thank is Blissful Living for You. It is a company designed to help you not only map out your dream life or the life that you've always dreamed about, but help you to build and sustain wellness, wisdom, and wealth in the pillars so that as you map out and begin living your dream life, you have your health, you have your wealth, and you have your mind right. And everything is building, growing, and is sustainable. So if you're interested in improving your health or you want to just learn more about living a stress-free life, or you want to learn how to build or increase the wealth that you have, then you want to check out blissfulliving 4 com. 
Now, let's get to the show and to the guest, um, today's guest. Our guest today is a fabulous young lady um, by the name of Portia Woods. And um, she is co-owner of a legal law firm um, called Woods Legal Group LLP. And Portia is in business with a family member, and I think that's always so, so very cool. Their business is a full-service, multi-generational, family-owned estate planning and elder law firm. And they help their clients to plan for the careful unwinding of their estates and for um, their families to help them with administering the estate plans when that time comes. Now, again, this is an area sometimes we don't like to think about or dwell into, but it's very, very important to have this area of our life wrapped up nice and tight so that when we need to use it or something happens, in case it needs to come forth, that everything flows Flawlessly, and so with that, I want to welcome Portia to the show. Welcome, Portia. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Thank you for being a guest on the show. And I want to, um, I want you to, because I did, I didn't do justice with regards to your introduction, um, but I want you to give the listeners a little bit of background about you. How did you, first of all, what made you want to be an attorney and really focus on estate planning um, as your specialty? Sure. So I graduated from law school in about in 2011 and passed the bar, and I was going to be a litigator. The first six years of my career were spent in the litigation sphere between criminal law and civil law. Um, and I just, I kept seeing time and again individuals who were losing, um, whether it be losing financially, losing emotionally, um, they weren't winning in the court sphere. And my mother and I, who is my business partner, who is also an attorney, she and I sat down and we started talking, what do people really need? And estate planning, proper documents, estate planning education was what was missing. And we said, we are going to fill this void and we are going to help protect the community. And so that's what we did. And Wood Legal Group was launched. And my mother and I have been working to help educate people about how to protect their families and communities ever since. That's really cool. It's, um, I bet you during your course as an attorney, um, when you were a litigator, I bet you did see a lot of things that you were just like, if only they had this in place or if only they had that in place, things may have turned out a little bit different. Um, so I think it's really cool that you saw a need and, you know, with the help of your mom, who's also an attorney, that you guys decided to focus on that need and that niche that is very well needed within not only, you know, the African-American community, but in all communities. So I think that's really, really cool. Now, I want to... I want let's get into the 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 nuts and bolts of it because I really want to what you guys out there listening what we're going to do is we're going to take it from the very basics and then try to um, go to more advanced information 
but I really want to start with the very basics because I'm not sure who's out there listening, who knows anything about trust, wills, planning, estate planning, anything like that. And so I want to just give a, just have Portia really give a really brief introduction about what we're talking about. And then we'll dive into some more deeper, more complex um, issues and information. So if you're like, already somewhat familiar with this kind of stuff, hang tight because it's going to get really good for you as well. Just just bear with us. So, Portia, can you just explain to the listeners out there, um, when we say estate planning, what exactly is that? Because in some people's mind, estate planning is, you know, for people that have money. But it's my understanding it applies to everyone. So can you share with the listeners what exactly is meant when we talk about estate planning? Absolutely. So it is a common misconception um, that estate planning is only for the uber wealthy. Um, in fact, it could not be further from the truth. The average American who is working every day has an estate. If you have a bank account, you have an estate. If you own a car, you have an estate. Um, the state, whichever state you live in, has a default estate plan for everyone. And it is considered, it is called the laws of intestacy. So if you are to pass away without a plan, the state has a plan for you. Here in California, if someone dies without a will or a trust, the community property in that estate, so the cars, the bank accounts, the personal property, et cetera, uh, would go entirely to the surviving spouse. And any of the separate property would go to evenly divided between the surviving spouse and any children in that order. Now, if they don't have a spouse it could, or any children, it could go up to their parents' generation. If their parents aren't alive, it would go out um, on parents, siblings, et cetera, et cetera, and it just keeps going on. But if you pass away and the state has to get involved, it is a process called probate where the courts mm-hmm. come in and they – send out a publication to anybody who could possibly make a claim or inherit against, uh, from you. And the process is long, it's arduous, it's difficult, um, and it's expensive. So everyone has an estate plan. Most people don't know that. Everyone does have an estate plan. It's the state's estate plan. Now, what we do is we change the state's estate plan by making one for our clients, which says this is who we want to benefit from us, whether it be our bank accounts, uh, our car, our house, uh, our business, any of those things, who gets it, mm-hmm. right? Um, we right. allow our clients to figure out who gets it while they're alive and how they get it. Um, and so that's what estate planning is on a sort of basic level. Going even further, what happens if we become incapacitated? Yes, yes. Most, let's talk about that. Most, people, most people don't, don't think, think about that. Right. right. And and people think of incapacity and they think, oh, I'm in a coma or, you know, I've had a stroke, something like that, that happens when I'm much, much older. But temporary incapacity happens all the time. You get into a car accident and you're incapacitated for a week, right? Maybe you're in a coma. Right. Maybe you cannot make decisions for yourself at that period of time. Who makes your decisions? Right. Most people don't so, know. <laughs> right. People right. say, oh, my parents. Yeah. yeah. They think, oh, I'm my about- parents will make my decisions or, you know, my spouse will make my decisions. 
But that, but that actually isn't true. If they haven't been given legal authority to make decisions for you, they don't make them. Uh, the example I like to give my clients is the Terry Schiavo case where, you know, she mm. didn't have any documents and she was um, on life support and her husband wanted to pull the plug and her parents didn't. They wanted to, That's right. you know, they wanted yeah. to fight. And the court had to decide who's right, who gets to make the decision, her husband or her parents. Right. And she spent 15 years on life support while her family, her husband and her parents battled it out in court and have the right to make that decision for her. That's expensive. That's time consuming. I mean, it's all encompassing, right? It finally went all the way up right. to the Supreme Court. And all that would have taken to avoid that entire mess was one document. So let's talk about this document because thank you. Thank you. That I think um, scenario with Terry really brings to light because that was a case that was in the news forever. And I don't think, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. when things like that happen, once they're gone, they're gone. It's out of the mindset of people, but it's a great, visualization to bring to light for those listening as to exactly what happened. And this lady, this poor lady basically lived an additional 15 years as people who loved and cared for her thought about what was the right thing to do. And it didn't even have to happen that way. Had she had say her ducks in a row, as we like to speak, speak, you know, speak about. So, um, so share what exactly, um, is it that someone, what what should someone do, even if the thought is I'm healthy, I'm well, and like you said, you could be incapacitated for a week. I, As a nurse, I've seen that a lot. I, I, you know, people go into a coma, things happen unexpected. You can't always predict what your future is going to hold. You don't know what's going to happen one second from now with regards to you, right? So mm-hmm. what would you share with the per- people out there listening with regards to moving from a scenario such as what happened with Terry to a much better proactive scenario? Sure. So as I mentioned before, everyone has an estate. If someone is over the age of 18, there are some basic estate planning documents that they should have in their arsenal. And that is a property power of attorney that designates who would make their property decisions if something were to happen to them. And this is not if, if they were to die, right? This is in the event of incapacity. So if you're in a coma for a week, who makes sure that your bills are paid? Who has access to your bank account to make sure your bills are paid? Um, that sort of thing, right? Who can talk to the doctors or talk to your landlord for you? Um, and then you need a health care power of attorney. Who gets to make the decisions about your health care when you are unable to do it yourself? You have to designate someone. Um, finally, additionally, you need a HIPAA authorization. So whoever your healthcare agent is needs to also have the authority from you to access your medical records. How can they make effective decisions about your care if they don't know the history, right? Maybe you have a pre-existing condition that would sway the way they uh, decide about what should happen next for you. If they aren't allowed access to your medical records, they won't ever know that. They can't be as effective as healthcare agents. And then finally, let me add, advance. For sure, mm-hmm. before you move on with regards to HIPAA, um, mm-hmm. with regards to HIPAA, 
can you share or enlighten the listeners if something happens to their spouse or whoever, right, um, is it automatically assumed that that surviving spouse has the authority to make decisions for that person that, you know, can't do it for themselves, even if there's no HIPAA authorization on file um, for this person in this person's medical record? Can you, can you enlighten the listeners on that? So a surviving spouse is not automatically... Thank um, you. ...is not automatically... And I say that I, this is the thing that comes in all the time. People are like, oh, my spouse will make my decision. Just because you got married does not mean that they are automatically your first fiduciary um, or automatically your, your agent or proxy in this scenario. And the best way to think about it is if I have a separate bank account, that's mine. It's separate. Maybe it's an inheritance I got from parents or something like that. If I don't give them access to it during life, if I'm incapacitated, why would they automatically have access to it then? They don't. That, it's just not a logical step. Um, right. And so people have to keep that in mind. If it's mine and it's separate, unless I give you access, you don't just get it. So just being my spouse does not make you my health care agent. Just being my spouse does not make you my property agent. And just being my spouse does not make you uh, my agent for HIPAA. Great. I can okay. pick or anybody can pick anyone they want as long as they're willing to do it. So they don't, okay, the, your the listeners, that's <laughs> huge. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's huge. You can pick any one you want as long as they agree to do it. That's, that's huge because I don't think a lot of people know that. And there's always assumptions made. And mm-hmm. so now you don't need to operate under an assumption you can do what you feel is best for you at your, in your situation and know that it's okay because you don't have – you can choose whoever you want. Okay, sorry, Hish. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, those it's, are important it's, things. Yeah, it's so important. You know, the thing I always try to remind people is think about your family and your friends or anyone that you would consider to be your agent and think about how they might act in the moment. Now, I know people who are very good at – money and, you know, taking, they're very organized and very good at taking care of affairs. So they could be my property power of attorney if I were to become incapacitated. I know they would get that job done well. But I also know this really emotional and making healthcare decisions is probably not going to be, they wouldn't be the best person for that job. And so I separated out the responsibility. I gave the best person for the power, for my property that job should something happen to me and I thought about who would make the best most rational least emotional decisions for my health care who's going to ask the good questions make sure they get all the information before they do it and I picked that person for my health care proxy now the last thing that you would want to include as it relates to powers is your advanced directive and this goes right back to Terry Schiavo if she had had a healthcare agent, we would know who she wanted to make her medical decisions, right? Either her parents or her husband or someone else. Um, right. But her advanced directive would have told us what she wanted in that situation. And that would have controlled. If she said, I don't want to be on life support 
for longer than 90 days or two years or whatever, right, fill in the blank, that would have been the directive that controls over how her care is handled. And there would not have then been a fight about it. So at the very bare minimum, to deal with the incapacity element, everybody over the age of 18 needs those documents in place. And they need to keep them updated every five years. Because laws change, but also when they become too outdated, they're not guaranteed to work at that point. Mm-hmm. So update, Here's update, update. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Saying someone has an advanced directive, but they don't have a health care power of attorney or vice versa, um, you know, the advanced directive generally states what someone would like in a given situation with regards to their medical care. Does it also include who's designated to make those decisions or the health care power of attorney is the complete second separate document that's needed in order for um, the person to be able to make the decisions in that advanced directive? Am I making myself clear? Yeah, so, so, okay. so with the advanced directive, it would say what the person wishes, but it generally does not say who they would want to make those decisions. Okay, right. Okay. The healthcare agent is the person that they say, this person's going to make my decision. So either it's, and if you only have a healthcare power of attorney, you are just telling them, I want you to figure it out and make those decisions, whatever they might be. Now, if you have mm-hmm. those documents, you're giving your healthcare agent some direction. You're saying, if this situation is so dire that I might not get better, right, what is that might not? What, what is the window in which I want you to let me to keep fighting? And what's the window right. where I want you to give me sort of palliative care? Or what's the window where I want no more extraordinary measures? When you give your healthcare agents those directions, it makes it easier for them to carry out your wishes. This is hard stuff, especially if they love and care about you. It's hard stuff. And they are processing their own emotions. And so to make it easier on them and make it easier for them to care for you, you got to give them clear direction. So that's just anybody, right? Anybody over the age of 18 right. should have those documents and a, and a basic will that says who they want their stuff to go to. Okay? Yes. Right. Now, right. Okay. if you have children the conversation about around estate planning becomes different because if they're minor children, you now have to think about guardianship. Who yes. would step into my position if I am, if myself or myself and my spouse are no longer able to care for our children. So if we both die in a car accident, who steps in? And, you know, you should always have First guardians, second guardians, third guardians, because your guardians can refuse. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's okay. You guys listening, that's a golden nugget, another golden nugget that she's sharing. Have, you know, as you have in life, a plan A, B, and C will have a guardian. If you have children and you're making, you know, decisions to, you know, get things in proper order in case something happens to you. Make sure you have a guardian A, B, and C because, you know, as she said, things can happen and guardian A may not be able to do it or don't want to do it. And so 
um, if you don't have B and C in place, you know, it might become a little bit more challenging. So perfect. Thanks, Portia. Yeah. And no, on. of course. I mean, if you, if you don't have B and C, the courts have to get involved, and they've got to step in and pick a suitable guardian. And that person can be anyone who comes forward. Right. Oh, so think right. about that one person in your family or that, you know, in, in your world who you absolutely do not want having your children. And I promise you, they will be one of the people who come forward and say, we want the kids. Hmm. Think about it. Whoever, so, you know, the kind of brings up another, another kind of court case that it, you know, again, it was, it may not be exactly similar, but with Anna Nicole Smith, and she had she died when she had that baby, and there was a mm-hmm. guy she was married to, and then the baby's daddy, and they had mm-hmm. this, you know, so um, very interesting, very, you know, very, a lot of things that we don't really think about. Um, let me ask you this one. I'm going to throw a spin on it. Say something, say there's a divorced couple. One mm-hmm. parent has whole custody of the children, Something something happens to that parent, um, but prior to something happening to that parent, they made a uh, they set up something with regards to you know guardian one, two, and three for the children, not including the father. Um, mm-hmm. Does that does that compl- I'm sure it does complicate things. Or <laughs> is it <laughs> or is it you know pretty much by record of whoever has custody of the children are able to make the decisions based on what is right for them at that moment in time. Well, so people hate this, but it depends. It's going to depend on the situation between the husband and wife, why they have that custody agreement the way that they do. If it's some sort of um, danger to the children from one parent (laughs) or the other. uh, And that might be why they don't have custody. Do they have visitation it just every scenario is different, and that would be okay. one where you would need to look at it individually to see what is going to be the best situation for that particular family. But you do bring up a really good point, um, or highlights of a really good point. Everybody's estate plan is different, right? Because everybody's family is different. So I can give you the basics, like what what are the sort of the foundational items that you need, but. You know, if you have a family member who's receiving social services, so you have a child who is getting disability or SSI or, you know, Section 8, something like that, if you leave them money outright and it puts them over the threshold, which is, you know, about $2,000, they can lose all of their benefits if you don't leave it to them in a supplemental needs trust. So, you know... Not everybody has that scenario, has that situation where someone is receiving some form of services, but when it happens, the individual who's receiving the services can't do anything about it. They can't say, I don't want it. I don't want to inherit from my parent uh, because the government says, no, no, that was money that was available for your care. So they still lose their benefits in most instances. Um, If they take it, they can still lose their benefits. And it's all because somebody else didn't plan well. So, you know, every family has to think about what's going on. But if there's a special needs individual in some in one of the listeners' families, they need to make sure that there are special needs trusts set up for them 
or that they are specifically disinherited so that they don't unintentionally bankrupt their family member. Mm. Wow. Another negative goal, that stuff we don't even think about or, you know, may not even be familiar with or have any experience or any idea that stuff like this happens. So hopefully you all are out there taking notes and um, really absorbing the, the negative goal that Portia is sharing with us because it's very important and it protects, really does protect you and your your wealth. I want to I want to kind of shift a little bit, Portia, because you know we're talking about you know powers of attorneys and having things like that set up. But what is the difference between a will and a living trust? And then I know within the context of living trust, there's two types: revocable, right, and irrevocable. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. Okay, so first, let's just go. What's the difference between a will and a living trust? So when you have a will, you are naming who is going to receive your assets, right? It is a legal document that says who you would like to inherit from you. Um, And it it gives the court the direction of who is going to take possession of your property, your money, your personal property, uh, and if you have minor children, you would name your guardians in your will as well. Now, a living revocable trust is a legal document that actually functions more like a treasure chest. What you do is you actually transfer title to your assets, say your house or your bank account, things like that, into this treasure chest. And the treasure chest survives you. So when you pass, the treasure chest still exists. So it right. removes the need to go to probate. Whereas in most, in, in many instances, a will would have to be probated depending on the value of the estate. Um, so it removes the need to go to probate, and the assets pass based on how you have written and drafted your trust. So if you need to create a special needs trust for a family member, or if you want to set up a charitable remainder trust to support one of your favorite charities, all of those things can be done inside of your your living revocable trust. Um, living revocable trust means that during your lifetime, you can do whatever you want with it. You can change it. You can get rid of it. You can buy and sell assets exactly as if you would on a regular day. Okay. Except now you're the trustee. Um, An irrevocable trust is a different type of estate planning document where you are locking up the assets and changing the way that you control them actually reducing the way you can control them, which can give um, some creditor protections uh, and things like that. It's not very common for everyday usage. Most people don't need an irrevocable trust. Okay. Okay. Now, when it comes to the revocable trust, the the treasure trust, treasure chest, as we like to say, um, and you acquire property, or say you have property, the property gets placed in the revocable trust, but is there a specific is there a specific way to take title to the property so that it remains protected in the in the trust? Yeah, so your your legacy wealth trust, your living revocable trust, is going to hold the title to your house. So most people, most married couples hold title as joint tenants. 
um, or single people, you know, own title to their house outright, things like that. You would transfer the title of that house at the recorder's office, and then you would get issued a new deed in the name of your trust. So the treasure trust can only protect what's inside of it. So what assets have actually been retitled into the name of the trust. So your deed would say, uh, let's see, my name's Portia Wood. So Portia Wood Family Trust, uh, the deed would say, you know, Portia Wood, as a single woman, transfers this property to Portia Wood, trustee of the Portia Wood Family Trust, established this date and, you know, all amendments there too. And now my trust holds the property. So if I pass mm-hmm. away, there's no need for a probate because the trust still holds the property and the trust still exists. A new trustee, because now I've passed away, a new trustee would step into my position and now manage those assets and distribute them based on the way that I have designated inside of that trust. That says, you know, upon my passing, this is who I want to get my house. This is who I want to get my car. This is who I want to get this bank account, et cetera, et cetera, and how I want them to receive that property. So who designates this new trustee? I do. Okay, so the so you so in the trust you decree that if something happens to me, um, I designate, you know, John to um, become the trustee of my estate. Uh, Is that correct? Right. Something, so he would be he would be my successor trustee in this scenario. Right. I designate John. If John is unwilling or unable or unavailable to act as my trustee mm. or my successor trustee, I then appoint Sarah, right? And if Sarah is unable or unwilling or unavailable, I then appoint such and such, right? So I, I continue to have okay. successor trustees because people can become unavailable. Right. They can become incapacitated. They may predecease you. So you need to make sure that you have backups in place in in that instance. So, yeah, so I name them. So I control who the person is that's in charge of doing all of this. And now the probate court, how familiar are you with probate court? Should we take it all the way back? Yeah, go ahead. Take it all the way back. I mean, I, I you know, I know a little bit, but, um, again, I like to, you know, start from the basics and then get more detailed um, as we become more educated by you. So go ahead, start with the bottom, because I know everyone out there hears about probate. I mean, I know people and have friends that have gone through probate court. I have some friends that are still going through pro- probate court. So that's how my familiarity is kind of secondhand. But go ahead and share with the listeners, just a, you know, what exactly is probate and why should we be so fearful of it? <laughs> well, probate is a court procedure that is, basically used to change title to assets. Um, So it takes it out of the name of the individual who's passed away and transfers it into the name of their living beneficiaries, right? So think about how you change title to your assets now. If I want to sell my car or I want to sell my house, I need to go in and I personally need to show my ID and I need to sign Right, saying that I, me, Portia Wood, am giving this legal authority away. Right. If you have a power of attorney, that power terminates on death. 
so nobody can legally sign for me anymore. I'm dead. I can't sign. My power of attorney no longer has power because it ended with my death. Now there's a house that's left in my name. Who has the authority to transfer that Mm -hmm. house to my beneficiaries? No one. Nobody is left to be able to do that. So the probate court comes in, and the probate court makes sure that that house is going to the rightful beneficiaries of my estate, and they are the only entity that can legally transfer that title out of my name to those beneficiaries. But it's also, (laughs) you know, when that happens and you open up a probate, they also open up any creditor's claims against your estate. Because you've got your Amex out there and, you know, student loans and all these other things. Um, That house that's sitting there or, you know, those bank accounts, the creditor's claims will come in and they'll be filed against the estate. And the Mm -hmm. probate court will pay that out before they pass on the estate to my beneficiaries. Hmm. Interesting. So this is uncontested, right? It gets far more challenging when you start publishing probates and letting anybody who might be able to inherit from you know that there's an open probate. And all of a sudden, as we saw with Prince's estate, people start coming out of the woodwork and claiming to be, you know, children of the decedent who, you know, can no longer speak for themselves or long lost cousins or, you know, all of these different all of these different things that happen. And in those instances, probates can go on for years and years and years. Wow. And, and the attorney's fees are set by statute. The costs are set by statute. So everybody is getting their piece of your family's pie before your family sees a cent. Conversely, it could be gone before it gets, even gets to you. Right. It could go to a negative. Oof. <laughs> okay. So, well, so you want to avoid probate. You don't want wow. the court being responsible for managing your assets and how they get to your beneficiaries because everybody's going to take a piece of that pie and hopefully there will be something left over for your family. And all of that happens because you didn't plan. Because it's only right. a okay, document, so, right? <laughs> right. So, okay, so now that you've shared the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly about probate and why we definitely should be fearful of it, just, again, um, reiterate to us, because I want people to make sure they really understand the importance of protecting their assets. Um, how can we avoid probate? <laughs> So depending on your estate, the size of your estate uh, and what's in it, you can avoid probate by having a will or having a living trust. Now, in California, if you have over $150,000 in gross assets or you own a piece of real estate, the only way to avoid probate is to have a trust. A will is insufficient, and most people do not know that their will will not avoid uh, will not avoid probate. Excuse me, um, because of those thresholds. Wow! 
So in California, pretty much the only way to, uh, you know, avoid your real estate getting into probate is to have a trust. Correct. Right? Yes. And so some of the some of the numbers that we've seen uh, conservatively, that on a conservative level, in a state that goes through probate, loses about 25% in costs and fees. And that is, on a conservative level, uncontested. It is just upwards from there. So if you take an estate that is, you know, just for easy math, right, if you have a million-dollar estate right. and you're losing 25% of it, you're losing $250,000 in costs and fees. Wow. Wow. I mean, right there just saves a ton of money for your estate, you know, and, and allows your family to be able to actually get part of your estate when you pass on if you have it protected in a manner that's right for you, which is in something like a revocable will, I mean, excuse me, a revocable trust or something like that. Now, I want to ask you, you know, um, you mentioned guardianship with regards to mm-hmm. the minors, and I just want to go back a little bit. Guardianship and conservatorship. Now, I know conservatorship can happen for um, adults as well, but can you just share a little light with regards to um, guardianship and conservatorship? Right. So guardianship or conservatorship, really sort of uh, the name in in many cases is interchangeable. It just depends on the state that you're in. Um, but it's a court-supervised proceeding which names an individual or an entity to manage the personal affairs of an incapacitated person. So who's going to manage your property? Who's going to manage your health care? Um, that sort of thing. So if you haven't set up the powers of attorney, your family or your friends or your spouse or your children need to go to the court and ask to be appointed either your conservator or your guardian, depending on you know, the state that you're in. Uh, and, it, and, and that's how that happens. Once a guardian or conservator is named, the court requires you every year to come back in and give an accounting of sort of what your own money has been spent on for your care. Mm. Now, that sounds reasonable, right? Yeah, of course, if somebody else is managing my affairs, I want to make sure there's some oversight. Right. But there's a cost to that oversight. Every time you have to go back in, not only is that proceeding public, right? Probate is also public. They also um, charge you, right? There's court fees that come into place. There's attorney's fees that come into play. Right. So, And that's getting taken out of that estate. So if you are incapacitated for 15 years, you spend 15 years going in and out of court just so that you can maintain care. Your family has to take time off of work in addition to caring for you to go into court to talk about how they're caring for you. Uh, And again, all because there wasn't a document in place that said who should be in charge of managing you in the event that something happened. 
all of these costs and fees that we talk about, all of this time that's spent going in and out of court can completely be eradicated by a simple estate plan. By doing it, and I say simple, but by doing a complete estate plan for your family that takes into consideration that life happens quickly. Right. You can save at minimum 25% of your estate from going to costs and fees. And on a million-dollar estate, like I said, you're talking about $250,000. Now, I mean, we're just trying to do simple math here. In California, especially in Southern California, the average house price is a minimum of $600,000. Right. And we're talking about places like Inglewood and South Central, places that historically haven't had a lot of economic growth are now sitting on real estate that's five and six hundred thousand dollars. Right. If that is not properly protected, that money will be gone, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about on six hundred thousand dollars about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cost and fees. But also if the process takes a year or a year and a half, your family doesn't necessarily have access to those to that property while they're right. waiting for the probate process. Right. Say, so then you say you that again about access to the property. Say that one again. Well, your family doesn't necessarily have access to the property while they're waiting for the probate to close. Mm-hmm. So if that probate takes a year or a year and a half, you have you're waiting before you can do anything with that property. If it takes a year or a year and a half, and you have an attorney who's working on your behalf, their fees are set by statute as long as there's no extraordinary fees, right? So um, you're looking at a a long period of time before you can do anything with that asset. At $150,000 just lost in costs and fees, that's a child's four-year college education at a state school. Right. That's an opportunity cost to start a business. Right. It's an opportunity cost to our community that we just can't afford. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it startled me. You know, Forbes estimates by 2053, the median net worth for black families in this country will be zero, which puts the majority of black families at that point at a negative net worth. And we are losing the majority of our wealth that's inside of our community at the generation transfer. And we cannot keep up. So, when we talk about estate planning, it's not just having a will. It's not just having a trust. It's the economic survival of the black community. And why if we don't do take think, it seriously, it won't, we, we will not recover. Why do you think that um, the community is so hesitant about having something like this in place? Do you think it's just lack of information correct information and education? Is it some kind of fear-based? I, I, I'm, I'm perplexed myself when I think about, you know, having something so simple, but then I also know culturally things, how things ebb and flow, and I'm just not sure. What, what do you see as the most apprehensive reason as to why uh, the black community is, is falling behind in this area? Well, it's not something you ever learn in school, right? You can go from preschool all the way through college and never learn a thing about estate planning except what you see in the movies. 
You can live your entire adult life without knowing anything about an estate plan except for a will because that's what we see in, in, in mass media, right? Right. Even when journalists talked about Aretha Franklin's $80 million estate and her dying intestate, they said she died without a will. Well, in her case, mm. a will wasn't going to be sufficient anyway based on the, the, the vastness of her estate. She really needed a trust, but that message wasn't being promoted. Right. So what we, what we know of estate planning in general is coming from the media. It's not coming from school. It's not coming from anywhere else. It's coming from the media, and the media only talks about wills and trust funds are being are promote trust fund babies are promoted in the media as being these spoiled rich kids, which is why we have this misconception that estate planning yeah. is only for the wealthy. What happens in other communities and in other families is they have these conversations at the dinner table, and they are passing that information on from generation to generation at the dinner table and inside of their own home. What, is, what, what are the two things you're always told not to talk about in mixed company? <laughs> or three things, excuse me, three things, right? Religion, right. politics, and money. Exactly. Which means people are not sharing ideas about how to build wealth. So in our community, we aren't getting that information because we never started with that information. Right. So what my mom and I decided to do, because, you know, if you live in, if you roll in certain circles, you start to get that information, right? Like exactly. I went to law school. I took an estates and trusts course. By taking an estates and trusts course, I understood what estates and trusts was and how that is an amazing tool um, to build wealth generationally. Yes. I've been able to create a trust that plans for my grandchildren, and my son's only one years old. Right. So, you know, setting using the tools that are available because I had the information. And what we try to do is go out into the community and share that information with people. What you know I what? found is when people understand, they mm-hmm. make good decisions. I think that's... Um I think what you're doing is really, really good, and and one of the reasons why I have guests on the show like you is to, you know, it is all about building and sustaining wellness, wisdom, and wealth. And I do find that in certain arenas, the um, African-American culture, and there are other cultures too, lag behind with regards to some of the tools we have available to protect and build our wealth because of whatever misinformation or whatever the case may be, not being exposed to it for sure. And you're absolutely right. We do not have those types of conversations at the dinner table about money because you can't talk about what you really don't know. It's not a bad thing. Right. But we have other types of conversations at the dinner table because we're talking about what they know. I get that. But it's great to have people like you that get out in the community, you and your mom, and you're really about educating people and helping people to understand that it's not just for the wealthy. It's for it's a tool for all of us. And so mm-hmm. um, I just really, you know, just really thank you for coming on and, and sharing information. I particularly was a business owner for probably hmm, at least, 11 years before I knew anything about having a trust 
and why mm-hmm. I needed to have a trust. And, and you know, I had a, at, at this time had um, a corporation. So it, it's amazing um, to me. And, again, like you said, it's just being out in the right circles and, and, and exposing myself in areas that I hadn't wasn't getting exposed to and learning this information and realizing something I needed to do. So I want to ask you one or two more questions before we go. Um, there is a term, and um, I know you're familiar with it, but I want to make sure that the listeners get information with regards to this term, too, because I've heard it thrown out there in, in certain circles. Um, a pour-over will. What exactly is a pour-over will, and is it necessary if you have a living trust already? Yes. So a pour of a will is an important part of your living trust. And what that's going to do is if you forget to transfer in an asset into your living trust or say you took something out of your living trust to refinance it and you forgot to put it back in and then you pass away, your pour of a will is going to be the direction to the court that says, my bad, I meant to put this into my trust. It's outside of my trust. I just want you to know that everything's supposed to be inside of my trust. Sort mm-hmm. of your catch-all, your safety net. You don't really want to have to use it, but you're glad it's there if and in the event you need to. Okay. Your portable will is also the place where you're going to name guardians for your minor children. Mm. So there are a lot of pieces to a good estate plan. The powers of attorney that we talked about in the beginning are one piece. Your pour right. of a will is a second piece. The living trust, if if that's what you need, is going to be your third piece. Or, you know, um, a complex will, if, if, if your estate is not as high, then you'll do sort of a complex will. But those are going to be the pieces of your estate plan. And all of mm-hmm. them encompass a good estate plan. You're not going to want just one, right? You don't want just the powers of attorney because that's dealing with incapacity, what happens right. if you pass away? You don't want just the ones that deal with if you pass away because what happens if you become incapacitated? So you, so you need all of the pieces to work together to really protect you and your family. Mm. Now, the third part about this, or the fourth part, I guess I should say, that most families don't think about and most young people don't think about is life insurance. And it is a really important tool in an estate plan especially if you have minor children. We mm. talked about how your guardians can refuse. If there, is not an, if there are not enough resources inside of the estate to care for your child, right. you are asking someone else to take on the financial burden of caring for your child, and they may or may not be in the position to do so. Perhaps right. they have their own children, and now taking in your child means that now their kids can't go to private school. They've got to go to public school or now they can't continue to live in their house because they've got, you know, they only have two bedrooms and now they've got four people, whatever it might be. Right. If you haven't properly financed your child until they reach at least the age of majority and something happens to you, you are asking someone else to do it and they are unlikely to say yes in many instances, mm. because they can't, right? right? We live in a in a time where, we, you know, it takes both salaries to right. make it work, especially in a place like California, 
where the property value is high, the houses are small, the salaries are low, and it's very expensive to raise a child to say, hey, can you take on my one as well? Oh, and by the way, there's no money, so now that salary that you were already stretching, now you've got to stretch even further because I didn't properly plan for my kid. Um, it's just, it's just too important as a making sure that your children are taken care of. And for a 35 year old non-smoker, a million dollars in term life insurance is like 30 bucks when, you know, it varies obviously. Right. But, but I mean, it's, it's less than a tank of gas in California. And it's so, so important it, to have, and, you're, and right. you're never too young to have it. You, you're never, I'm a big proponent of that, you're never too young to have it. Um, so I tell my friends know, all the time, when you're young and healthy, get a whole life policy. I don't care exactly. how much it is, get a whole life <laughs> policy and lock it in, because here's the thing, you are only getting older and you're only mm-hmm. getting sicker. Mm-hmm. And it's only going to cost more to get the exact same thing that you could have gotten at 20. Mm-hmm. It, it'll cost you double to try to get it at 40. Oh, yes. And have a get it when you, you don't need it. Medical, if you have some medical issue, it may meet, you may be quadruple the price of what you were when you were 20. So, or you, know, you will become happen. uninsurable. Exactly. A bad, di- bad, excuse me, a bad diagnosis can cause you to become uninsurable. Yes, and at that yes, point, yes. You'll, you'll never be able to come back and get it. The other thing that I say is when babies are born, get them a small whole life policy. Many of these cash accumulate, much like IRAs, throughout their lifetime. And, and until they change the rules, right, as of right now, you can borrow up to 80% of the cash value inside of a life insurance policy mm-hmm. tax-free as long as you have an intention to pay it back and, and you do make payments to pay it back. Essentially tax-free. So wow. you can guarantee a, your child has insurability, and because they're young, it's super cheap. <laughs> Their life expectancy exactly. is really long. So there's just exactly. so many strategies that we are not employing in our community to take care of our kids and our families generationally. If you get your child a whole life insurance policy that's you know fully paid up after 20 years, by the time they're 20, you don't pay another dime and neither do they, and now they've got this policy that lasts until they pass away. Right. Right? In most instances. Yeah. Which means when they that's pass away, great. that policy will pay for their child, pay their children. So now you've just created a generational wealth, right? Right. Depending on what right. you bought your baby, their children and their grandchildren now have a pot of money that you set aside because you planned in advance. That's that's what that's what we uh, you, okay. You guys out there listening, that's what you all need to do. If you don't have um, a life insurance policy on your children, you may want to look into that. Um, again, it's about building and sustaining wealth. And the way you do that is to be able to set the generation coming up behind you um, in a position so that they can set up the generation coming up behind them the same way. And it continues. It's a continuing cycle. Now, Ms. Portia, we are at the end of our show. So I want you to share with people um, any information as to if they have questions, if they would like to get in contact with you, 
um, or if you have an event or anything like that, uh, go ahead and share that with the listeners right now. Okay. Uh, so we are an estate planning law firm. We are located in Los Angeles, California, and the Los- in the surrounding counties. Uh, we also have a presence in Baltimore, Maryland. We are not licensed in any other jurisdiction, so I would only be able to answer questions generally about those jurisdictions. Um, but in California, our office number is area code 626-898-9195. Uh, we can be found on the web, woodlegalgroup.com. We have several events coming up. We're actually speaking tomorrow at the International Association of Women in Chatsworth, California. It's an open event. You can go on Eventbrite. Uh, we're at the SoCal Women's Health Conference November 2nd in Pasadena, uh, also a free and open event, uh, and several more that are on our website. So feel free to give us a call. We're happy to talk to anyone and help steer you in the right direction. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Portia. The show was so very informative. And like I said to the listeners, we were going to take it from the very basics and then dive into some more complex and more um, advanced information. And I think it went perfect. I think a lot of people out there have now a more uh, more information regarding why it's so important to have a trust, why it's so important to plan for when you may not be able to plan for yourself or be around, um, and why it's so important in helping us as a community to build and sustain wealth that we can pass on to our heirs. So, And it doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy to do this. It just means being proactive. And so thank you, Portia. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. Hopefully you took a lot of notes and are going to begin instituting some of the information portion shared with um, with all of us today. Or if you have questions and you live in California or Maryland, feel free to give her a call, look her up on the website, and I'm sure she would love to hear from you. And I want to thank our sponsors, Blissful Living for You, as well as All Day Cable Incorporated. Until next time, this is the Queen of Feeling Fabulous wishing you Peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next time, goodbye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And, of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.